1: Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. This is Matt Warren, editor in chief at BuffaloRumlings.com and the host of Buffalo and QA on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. The Buffalo Bills defeated the Indianapolis Colts in the wild card round of the 2020 2021 NFL playoffs to advance to the divisional round and face the Baltimore Ravens this coming weekend. During today's episode, we're going to tackle all the new storylines to come out of the Colts game. Uh, I think Bills fans were lulled into a sense of dominance over the last few weeks as the Bills were just destroying opponents, you know, putting up huge numbers on... Teams in nationally televised games and i think they just got kind of lulled into this sense of accomplishment um i don't think the bills did but a lot of bills fans were just expecting the bills to go out and drop you know 38 points on another top 10 defense be able to have their way with the Indianapolis Colts and it did not come out that way so a little bit more frustration and uh questions uh this week following the wild card round Uh, you know for a while we are you know getting thin on questions because everyone's like well they're doing great we don't really need to question anything and um I think going forward we have a few more questions to answer this week because of the close game against the Indianapolis Colts speaking of your questions you can always send them in at 716-508-0405. You can text or call that number, 716-508-0405. Tweet us at Q and a That's with the word and spelled out in the middle. You can leave us uh, emails, buffalorumlings at SBNation.com. Facebook messages and Instagram messages to the official Buffalo Rumblings account. Uh, Those get back to me as well. We've got lots of different types of questions this week. Uh, So without further ado, let's get to my takeaways from the game against the Indianapolis Colts. On this article at buffalorumblings.com between Saturday and Tuesday, I have not read all of them, um, but I did dive in a little bit. Uh, my first takeaway was that was not a fumble, and I know a lot of Bills fans are going to agree with me on that. Or, sorry, that was a fumble. Whew, sorry. Um, at the end of the game, uh, the, the Indianapolis Colts wide receiver, Zach Pascal, uh, caught a pass, uh, fell to the ground, got up, and started running again. Uh, Matt Milano and Jordan Poyer came in and got the ball away from him, and Buffalo recovered. It was ruled down by contact on the field, I guess... Um, and the Colts lined up for another play. Uh, Sean McDermott called a timeout to give whoever it was you know, a chance to review the play. Uh, he got the ball back, so they must have quote unquote uh, buzzed the official early enough where they were able to give McDermott his timeout back. But, um, Everyone on Twitter thought it was a fumble. Uh, Rich Eisen at NFL Network, uh, folks at ESPN, folks at every outlet everywhere. In fact, I didn't see one person thinking that he was down by contact. Colts reporters, Colts fans, I didn't see anybody think that he was down by contact except for the NFL. There was no clear evidence that he wasn't down by contact, which doesn't make any sense. There's no evidence he was touched before he goes to the ground he's up off the ground um and then the ball comes out so it was definitely a a fumble it would have added to the lore of bill's fandom I mean, music city miracle uh no goal (laughs) back uh, with the Sabres and uh, Brett Hall. Even last year against the Houston Texans when the guy didn't give himself up in the end zone and the refs just magically gave him a touchback instead of calling him for an illegal forward pass in the end zone. like just It would have been added to that list, and I'm just glad that the Bills won so that we don't have to talk about it ever again probably after this podcast. The starting field position was a big problem for the Bills, when I say a problem, I mean like, it really hindered their ability to score points. Even though they had a 96-yard drive, um, the longest in Bills playoff history, to score a touchdown, Like you can't expect them to do that consistently over and over again, especially against really good defenses. In the first half, Buffalo's average drive start was their own 8-yard line. They had drive starts at the 3, 15, 11, 6, and 4. And the second half wasn't great, but it was a heck of a lot better. They had drive starts of the 28, 23, 25, and 24. So when I think the Colts were starting out on the 35, the Bills were starting, you know, way back in their own end. And it just it limited the offense's ability to put up points. They still were able to do that because of some time in the plays by Josh, Josh Allen, Gabriel Davis, Stephon Diggs, all all every, all the major players. But it's not something you can expect them to consistently do game after game, uh, you know, series after series. The defense really had problems with Frank Reich and the play calling. Um, the Colts only scored. 24 points, but it reminds me a lot of the Bills game against the Jets when the Bills just kept marching it down the field, getting into field goal range. The Bills kicked, I think, six field goals against the Jets that game to win 18-10, to 10. but their offense played really, really well. They were able to move the ball at will. They had what was it, a missed field goal, a fumble in the red zone, but they had like eight or nine drives into into Jets territory in that game against New York, but this week, it was the Colts that were driving it into Bills territory. The, the Colts outgained the Bills on this game. It was 472 yards by Indianapolis to 397 by Buffalo. They were about equal in passing yards, and the Colts ripped off some big runs to um, to outgain the Bills on the ground. But 6.2 yards per play... For Indianapolis is is pretty darn good. Uh, they didn't have any fumbles, no interceptions, but they had a missed field goal in the Bills red zone. They had that fourth down attempt that the Bills were able to stuff. So the Colts had a couple different scoring drives that Frank Reich was just, you know, doing a great job against the Buffalo Bills defense. You know, they, they don't hold on to the ball for thirty-four minutes and outgain the Bills by eighty yards because Frank Reich was bad, and every one of Indianapolis's drives got into Bills' territory. So um, I don't know if the defense played too great. They were able to limit the running attack for most of the game um, and take away Jonathan Taylor, but it was not the best defensive performance. They're going to need to be better against the Baltimore Ravens uh, this Sunday and whoever they play in the AFC Championship game if they get that far. But they did show a lot of grit, they showed that they deserve to be in the playoffs. They beat a team with a seasoned NFL quarterback, a seasoned play caller, a seasoned head coach, um, a team that didn't make any mistakes really, except for maybe some questionable goal line decisions or play calls, but no turnovers. <laughs> we already talked about that fumble, but like no turnovers, You know, no sacks uh, of Phillip Rivers. They just, they were always in a good position and the Bills took everything that the Colts were able to give and still didn't lose this game. And that just means so much for the future of this organization. Like they took everything that the Colts had and still won the game. And that is such an important trait. They did enough to win. And we were talking about it earlier in the year, how the Bills weren't contenders. They showed in this game that they can win those ugly games when stuff isn't going right for them, when other, the other team outgains them, when the other team doesn't make mistakes, they can still win the game. Uh, and they did that over the weekend. Finally, Josh Allen's growth. So important for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, obviously, he's you know the focal point. He was, I mean... A ridiculous percentage of the offense 80 something percent of the offensive yards were either josh allen's feet or josh allen's arm but it's so much clearer how he calmed down other than that almost lost fumble in the fourth quarter that i know a lot of our hearts were skipping a beat but Daryl williams was able to come up with the ball other than that he played within himself he he saw pressure coming he anticipated pressure he was able to roll out buy time find guys on the run um those gabriel davis passes along the sideline uh at the end of the first half and and, and the second half were just absolutely stellar um you know his dropping the bucket to stefan digs on um the go route it was just it was so fun to watch him mature over that game against the houston texans like he played within himself um don't discredit the fact that he doesn't feel like he needs to do everything on his own. He knows that he has playmakers down the field, whether it's Gabriel Davis, whether it's Stephon Diggs, um, Cole Beasley coming up big, you know, he knows he has playmakers down the field, so he knows he doesn't have to do it all on his own. And that was just, it was really fun for us to watch. Um, as long as their quarterback throws for, you know, or adds, I guess 376 yards and three touchdowns every week, you're probably going to do. Okay. And um, that's exactly what happened with the Buffalo Bills this weekend. All right. We're going to take a quick break now that my takeaways are done. And we're going to turn to just this whole treasure trove of questions coming up after the break. Don't go anywhere.
0: Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.
1: Bill's Mafia 37 asks us, do you think Brian Dable sticks around if the Bill's Miss out on the Super Bowl for another shot. I do not think that Brian Dable is going to stick around Buffalo for any reason whatsoever. Um, they can't give him a raise. They can't give him a title. They they can't give him a Super Bowl win or a Super Bowl loss or any reason to keep that guy from going and taking the top job. When you interview for the top job, you want to be in the big chair. I don't think that goes away, and you know, they're first of all, they're not gonna be able to pay him as much as he would make as a head coach. And so like the cash thing is off the table that people keep suggesting. You know, if if you give him Justin Herbert and that Los Angeles Chargers roster and Tom Telesco, who he has a nice relationship with, I don't know why he would turn that down. Uh, He's got a solid pass rusher on the other side of the ball. He's seen how you can build an organization into a winning organization. Uh, He's been a part of multiple different winning organizations, so he's got to think he can do that too. I don't understand why he wouldn't want that opportunity. Um, Even some of the lesser opportunities like the New York Jets or the Houston Texans might be less attractive to him, but just having that ability to take over and coach Deshaun Watson – or, you know, Sam Darnold or whoever the Jets are going to go with. I just it seems unlikely that Dable is going to be the Bills' head coach next year. And it's remarkable that the Bills were able to keep all three of the, all of their coordinators for the last 3 years. They were able to keep Leslie Frazier for 4 years now. They've been able to keep Ryan Dable for 3 years now. That doesn't usually happen in the NFL, and if you look around, I think they were the two of the longest tenured coordinators in the league because they just move on they, they either get fired or they get promoted or you know they get another job somewhere else to try and move up the ladder so i don't think that brian dabble is going to be around next year um i mean the re- the way he would be around next year is if the w- bills win the super bowl because the longer he's off the market the more likely it is that he isn't hired by somebody else and they want to move on so they can get the assistant coaches that they want or you know some weird thing like that. We saw it in New England and Kansas City over the last several years where they just didn't want to wait on those coordinators and they hired somebody else instead. But we've also seen the exact opposite. We've seen teams wait for the guy that they really want. And, I mean, a lot of these teams are slow playing it right now, especially ones with general manager openings. Thanks for your question on Twitter. Anthony Marino sends us our next question. He is, of course, the host of Breaking Buffalo Rumblings on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network, and he asked, is it just me or do the Bills seem to struggle on second down and short yardage situations? Seem to be an issue Saturday and throughout the season. All right, so I dug into the numbers a little bit. I didn't go back to watch exactly what happened on the two plays. That Anthony is talking about Um, I'm sure you can find somebody out there that's doing film analysis of that but I know where they went and both of them went over the left side Um, so take that for what it's worth Uh, Zach Moss in the second quarter took a second and two run for one yard at the left guard on third down he was stuffed and the Bills had to punt that was a problem in the third quarter second one Zach Moss to the left end no gain So, both of them were to the left side of the line. They were able to convert the third down in the third quarter. So, that's second and short. So, of one or two yards. During the season, they had um, 19 second and one attempts and they converted 13 times for an average of 68% conversions. That's middle of the pack. It's like, you know, 12, 13, 14th in the NFL. On second and two, they had 23 second and two attempts uh, and 15 conversions, uh, 65% of the time. It's a little bit higher. It's like, you know, 12% or top 12 in the NFL. So still not great. So let's look and see if we can see any other trends. On second and one, they ran 12 rushes and seven passes. So it's not like they were telegraphing it. On second and two, they ran... 13 rushes and 10 passes so again not telegraphing it it's not like they're giving away what their plan is so I don't really know the answer to it other than just individual breakdowns Um, it certainly looked that way uh, against the Colts that it was an individual breakdown maybe you know a great play by a Colts player on the interior of the defensive line uh, pushing back the left guard um, or just getting penetration uh, one thing I did notice that I thought was very very interesting uh, stat uh, when I looked at third down and short um, we were just talking about tendencies how the Bills don't really have a tendency on second and short well on third and short they sure do on third and short third and one 29 rushes one pass this season that one pass went for 26 yards for the record but uh 29 rushes. I mean, they converted a lot. They were they had the second most conversions on third and one, but 29 rushes and one pass. Maybe that's a Josh Allen uh, QB sneak thing. Um, they averaged two yards on those third and one rushing attempts. So they do seem to have tendencies on third and one. In case you're wondering, but uh, as far as your question about second and short yeah it was a problem um i'm a big fan of you know going going deep on second and one because you assume that you'll be able to pick it up on third down um but you know so i'm not really worried about necessarily the conversion percentage but when you see zach moss get stuffed on two short yardage second down attempts like they're clearly not going deep which is what i was just saying um they're clearly trying to get the first down And both times against the Colts, they weren't able to do that. Uh, But I think it was more of an individual thing than anything else. Um, They were kind of middle of the pack throughout the season. Thanks for that question, Anthony, and let me go into some stats a little bit. Grogu, Bills Mafia, asks us, delay of games, do they exist? Yes, they do. And I thought that the commentators actually did a really nice job of explaining The process, we actually did this last year against the Houston Texans as well because we saw the same thing. Um, The back judge is looking at the number in the back of the end zone. When it hits zero, he has to look at the ball, see that the ball is not moving, then blow his whistle. So there's a bunch of split-second decisions in there from the time that he actually sees the zeros on the play clock behind the end zone to when he actually blows the whistle. And if there's any movement whatsoever, he's instructed not to blow the whistle. So, I mean, just think about looking way off in the distance, then looking back, then actually blowing the whistle. There's just so many, I don't know, literal mechanical things that have to happen before the sound of that whistle is made that it takes about a second. And you saw this in a couple of the other games this weekend as well. It just takes a second. And they want to give teams the benefit of the doubt. So, thanks for your question. Delay of games do still exist in the playoffs. Um, Thank you, Grogu, Baby Yoda, Bills Mafia. Um, Where was Mario Addison? I saw a lot of Epinesa and only Mario on third down pass rush. That comes from Alan Walker. Well, hold on to your butts. Mario Addison played 60 snaps. AJ Epinesa played 22. So, he more than doubled up AJ Epinesa's snap count. What does that mean? It means that you saw Epinesa more and he flashed more, but Addison was in a lot more in the actual lineup. Addison had three tackles. Epinesa had one. So Addison was on the stat sheet more than Epinesa, but Epinesa was in the backfield a couple times that we were able to see. It's nice that we're able to see that too. He's really come a long way in his rookie year without a training camp. So there you go, Alan Walker on Twitter. Jack Nealon asks, who's the second string running back next week, TJ Yeldon or Antonio Williams? Um, That, of course, has to do with the fact that Zach Moss is done for the postseason with an ankle injury. So the Bills have an opening at running back. Yeldon's been inactive pretty much the whole season. um, And Antonio Williams is on the practice squad. So who's going to get the call this week? I think that um, Williams will make the roster, but I would anticipate... Yeldon is going to be the one playing and it has to do with everything else a running back does. Uh, The pass protection uh, being able to catch uh, balls out of the backfield. Williams is so unseasoned. Um, I don't know if we actually saw him pass block in week 17 when he was in. Uh, If he can answer that question sure he can be the, the second running back but with the amount of passing that this Bills team does and hopefully will do against the Baltimore Ravens they're going to need a guy that can pass protect and go out in routes and is that you know a, a, an undrafted rookie free agent that you cut you know, what was it five times this offseason I just don't know he, he's certainly a great runner and I love watching him with the ball in his hand but just like we had the conversation with Christian Wade it takes more than that skill to be a running back in the NFL so I'm anticipating it's going to be TJ Yeldon if they were going to have Williams be you know the guy they would have brought him up to the active roster a long time ago and let TJ Elden go. Jack Nealon asks us, I know the Colts have a good offensive line, but does it concern you that Rivers was kept clean? No, their whole offense is predicated on him getting the ball out quickly. Um, his they, they talked about this during the uh the game as well that you know his stats when he had to hold on to the ball were significantly lower. Uh, so their whole offense is timing, getting the ball out quickly. And, uh, you know, we, we knew that the pass rush wasn't necessarily going to get here there. It was about, you know, creating pressure up the middle. Um, we need a little bit more out of Ed Oliver, sure. But I, it did not surprise me at all that Philip Rivers was clean throughout the day. Um, and again, against Lamar Jackson, the, the Bills might not get a hit on Lamar Jackson. The whole The whole thing for Lamar Jackson is keeping him in the pocket and keeping him contained and not overextending yourself. We saw that, like, with Kyler Murray on the Hale-Murray pass at the end of the Arizona Cardinals game. He gets out of the pocket uh, because I think it was Mario Addison, you know, lunges at him, and he's able to create because of that. But um, if he had just kept contain, then Murray wouldn't have been able to chuck that up to DeAndre Hopkins for the game winner against Arizona. We're going to see the same thing against Lamar Jackson. You know, it's not going to necessarily be about sack numbers. Um... It's going to be about keeping him in the pocket and keeping him where you want him. So it doesn't concern me with Rivers, and it won't concern me with Lamar Jackson if there's no sacks on the board, as long as they're doing the other stuff that they're supposed to be doing. Jack is also concerned about the lack of pre-snap motion. Yeah, Isaiah McKenzie only got, I think, two snaps. Let me look. He only got four snaps on offense, which, you know, a much much different day a much much different game plan from the buffalo bills than we were used to seeing i'm not sure why they made that decision um but um but yeah it it certainly was noticeable that they didn't use as much pre-snap motion against the indianapolis colts ryan cox asks us on Twitter was it me or did they feel like they played it safe this week almost like they were trying to not show too much before the next round I don't know if it was that last part not trying to show too much before the next round I do think that they were trying to play a little bit safe um, they ran the ball more than I would have suggested especially against a, an iffy Indianapolis Colts secondary I don't know the purpose for that and I was calling for it during the game that I wanted to just like abandon the run completely and go towards uh, that passing attack. But um, like I said, I don't know the reason behind it, but it certainly felt like they were running more than they had to um, against that banged-up Colts secondary. Our last question comes from Dread Pirate Michaels, who says, I want to know what was going on with the defense. Was it pre-snap changes from Rivers or miscommunication or what was happening? The Bills were letting guys get beyond their linebackers and find soft spots in the zone, that's not usually what they're able to do. Um, so they were finding the spots beyond the linebackers. Usually the linebackers are dropping a little bit deeper and catching, or allowing the catch in front of them and then making the tackle and cleaning that up for short gains. I'm wondering if it was a little bit of the approach to stopping the run to keep the linebackers closer to the line of scrimmage. And instead of dropping them into a little bit deeper coverage, say like eight or nine yards off the ball, to keep them up kind of four or five yards off the ball so that they could read and react to the run a little bit better. Um, Leslie Frazier didn't talk about that, but it's something that we might be seeing again this week against the Baltimore Ravens. Speaking of the Baltimore Ravens, the Bills will host the Ravens this Saturday night at Bills Stadium with 7,000 or so fans in attendance, about 10% capacity. As always, you can call in your questions for next week's episode at 716-508-0405. You can send us voicemails there or text messages. You can send us tweets at rumblingsq and A with the word and spelled out in the middle. Facebook and Instagram messages to the Buffalo Rumlings official account. Comments over at BuffaloRumlings.com. Lots of ways to get in touch with me. Thanks for listening. Uh, like and subscribe. And go Bills
0: support for this show comes from vanta dealing with loads of spreadsheets juggling different tools and having to do manual security checks it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more, strengthen security posture, and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to Vanta.com slash Vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot slash Vox for $1,000 off Vanta.